Okay, let's get started, everybody. Good morning, everyone. My name is Amber Neeling. I'm the Welcome Ministries Director here at Hopevale Church. I just want to say thank you so much for being here to worship with us this morning. I got to let you guys in on a little something. Um, you know, this week has been a little hard for us to get prepared for this morning. I've been fighting a cold all week. Allie woke up this morning. She wasn't feeling very well. And so we just know that the devil does not want this morning to happen. But we are going to sing with all of our might this morning, no matter what it sounds like. We're going to keep on going. So we're going to say until the devil, no, not today. We're going to try it, all right? So um, we'd love for you to join with us this morning. We have a new song that we're going to start out with that I just wanted to let you know about. It's called After Your Heart. And what it means is that we are going to be chasing after God's heart. And what, what song is better fitting for a morning like this morning when we know the devil doesn't want us to? So um, as, as we were listening to this song at first, I remember sitting in our car, in my car, with my husband and um, just thinking to myself, I felt really convicted. I'm just like, how many times can I say that I really chase after God's heart? And I can honestly say I do not do that very often. And I do not do that... Um, really that, that much at all. And a lot of times when I pray, it's always, Lord, help me. God, be with me. F you know, search my heart. It's always me, me, me. And it's never, God, I want to know you. I want to feel you. And um, so this song really convicted me. There's a, there's a song, or a, uh, sorry, a line in the verse, in the second verse that says, Lord, do what you have to. Break down these doors. I want to know you like never before. And that's pretty scary to say um, and to pray. But I really want to start this morning and challenge you to feel those words. And even if it's just for this hour, I just want you guys to, to do that. To ask God, Lord, do what you have to. Break down these doors. I want to know you like never before. And then hopefully that goes into the rest of your week. So I just wanted to pray really quick before we get into worship and just kind of set the mood for this morning. So if you would, just bow your heads with me. Dear Lord, we thank you, God, so much for this day, Lord, for a place called Hope Vale to come on a Sunday morning and be with our family, our brothers and sisters in you. And God, we just pray that you fill this place that the Holy Spirit be so rich in this place that, that we can't help but to just get goosebumps and just feel the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just, we welcome you here, God. We pray that you just um, fill, us, fill us with your love, with your voice, God, and that no matter what we sound like this morning, that we just raise our voices to you, Lord, because you are holy. You, God, are holy. And we love you, Lord, and we glorify you, and we ask that through this worship this morning, Lord, that you're happy and that we can show our love to you in the right way. We love you so much, Lord, in your name. Amen. Go ahead, take us in, Mark. Feel free to stand and worship with us as well. are new You're already chasing With relentless pursuit You have my attention You have my whole life I don't want to miss you here So open my eyes down the doors I want to know you like 
guys so much for being here today. This is so great. Hey, again, my name is Amber Neeling. I'm the Welcome Ministries Director here at Hopevale Church. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Whether you are new or whether you come here often, just thanks for joining us and joining our family today to worship the one and only God. If you are new, we do have a gift for you. If you would like to, after the service, head out to the Welcome Center, which is the curved desk in the middle of the lobby, we have a gift for you. So feel free to do that after the service. Um, also at this time, I would love to ask, um, since this is our most attended service, if you guys don't mind just kind of scooting in towards the middle of the auditorium, the reason we do this is because if someone is maybe running a little bit behind this morning or anything like that, we want to try and get rid of any sort of distractions as they're coming into the auditorium so they can kind of just take a seat right on the edge of the row. So if you don't mind just scooting in, that would be absolutely great. While you are scooting in, feel free to grab a name of someone around you, give a handshake, a high five, a hug, whatever you need to do, and um, we'll come back in just a couple seconds. Good morning again. Hopefully you guys can have a seat. Uh, just another welcome. My name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And just so good to be together uh, here this morning. Uh, a couple of things we wanted you to be aware of. So Amber just gave the welcome to first-time guests. I also wanted to let you know that next Sunday we have what we call a get-to-know Hopevale experience after both services in the hub. And so if you're relatively new to Hopevale and would just be interested in coming learning a little bit more about our mission, our values, and just different ministries uh, that you can get uh, plugged into and be a part of, we would love to have you in the hub, which is a room right off of the lobby next to the info desk there. Uh, just a brief experience to share those things. So uh, please come check that out next week if you're with us. Uh, also next week, I have some bad news. It is daylight savings time. And it is the bad one. We are going to lose an hour. So if you don't change your clocks, you'll be late. So put that uh, on your radar and uh, just be aware of that time change next Sunday. Hopefully we'll all be here on time, myself included. So 
Uh, hey, as we prepare to take the offering this morning, I want to invite the ushers to come forward and just to share a little bit of a story with you. Um, some of you might be aware we were planning on sending a team to Zimbabwe this coming summer. There's also some unrest in that country right now, and so uh, we decided it would be wise to, to pull the plug on that trip and to look for a future date to send a team. And as the outreach pastor, I was a little bit disappointed in that because we really value being able to send groups of people to serve alongside of our partners internationally. And so it, it kind of took away that opportunity. Uh, but another one of our values is just making sure that with our partnerships, we are just pouring into and investing in the indigenous leaders in those communities. And, and I got an email this past week because I'm a little bit disappointed that we're not going to be able to send a team this summer. Uh, I got an email from our Life to Life Africa team in Chinoy, Zimbabwe. And it was a story about how uh, one of their leaders, her name is Gogo Mildred, she was sharing the gospel uh, with a group of youth. And two of them responded and came up. She was telling them about how much Jesus loves them. And they, they responded to that and said, I want Jesus to be my savior. And I was just so encouraged by that. And, and that was two people. And uh, Mike, our partner, said that uh, in the past weeks, 14 youth have given their lives to Christ there in that community, which is incredible. And so much of it was because of the unrest in that country. And so just, just an awesome reminder for us that, man, even when things might not be going so great on the surface, God is at work and he uses those things uh, in our lives to draw people closer to himself. And so whether it's uh, our partner in Chinoy, Zimbabwe, or maybe your own lives this morning, uh, just a reminder and an encouragement to us that God is at work. And as we give to his purposes and his work around the world and in our own backyard as well, uh, it's just a great reminder of how God is uh, is making an impact, and we get to be a small part of that. So thank you so much for giving, and we just look forward to how more and more stories like that are going to be written. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, as we prepare to give. God, it is uh, so humbling uh, when we get to stand before you, and sometimes we bring uh, our own expectations and our own messiness into the picture. And God, um, just reminded that we need to lay all of that at your feet because you're at work in ways that we can't even see or we might not even be aware of. And so, God, thanks for that reminder uh, that even I had this past week that, um, that you're at work even in the midst of when things look like they're a little bit of a mess and not going according to plan. And, Lord, thanks for, as a church, just the way that we get to invest in those, uh, the spiritual future uh, of people here in our community and around the world as well. God, thanks for those 14 youth in Zimbabwe have who have chosen to follow you with their lives. And God, we pray that, that that seed of faith that has been planted and as they have responded to that, God, that it would grow and that they would just produce uh, a lot of fruit for your kingdom. And again, Lord, thanks that we just get to play uh, a small role in that uh, as we invest in others so that they can know and follow Jesus. And so, God, as we give this morning, would you just take and use these gifts and offerings in ways that far exceed our own expectations and that your name would be made even more glorious throughout this earth. Uh, God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue in worship this morning. Feel free to stay seated, and I'll stand you when the time comes.
Dear Lord, we, uh, God, we thank you. We thank you for telling us who we are. We thank you for allowing us to be your child. We just thank you. You are so good, God. You are so good. God, we thank you um, for this day. Again, we thank you for being a part of this morning and that your Holy Spirit is here. We just pray, God, over, over this message that's about to happen, just over the rest of this morning, that you are glorified. Lord, that you open our hearts, you open our ears, and you just um, show us your love, Lord. We love you so much. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. Morning, Hopevale. Hey, it is great to be with you this day. I'm Dan Davis, senior pastor, and it is March. It's March. May feel like February out there, but our calendars say March, and that is tremendous. Spring is around the corner. Signs of new life out there, but signs of new life are already happening in here, right? Yeah. So I want to welcome those of you in Bay City joining us. Along. Great to have you along. And a special shout out to you, Pastor Billy. Billy's leading worship in Bay City today, and we're just uh, grateful for that opportunity as well. We miss you, kind of. Okay, so, well, today uh, we begin the second half of our series in the New Testament book of 1 John called Confidence in the Chaos. Confidence in the chaos. And as we kick things off this morning, I thought it would be good for us to start with both a review and a preview. A review and a preview. A review to remind us of where we've been so far in our journey through 1 John, but also a preview to give us a glimpse of where we are headed over these final six weeks of the series. So, first, the review. And to do that, I want to go over a diagram I shared with you a couple weeks ago that helps us understand the setting of 1 John. It really helps put some pieces together. So here it is, right? That 1 John is a letter involving three different groups or parties, right? That you have first the Apostle John, the author of 1 John. John who is with Jesus. John the faithful follower. John the best friend of Jesus. John the eyewitness to the miracles, to the ministry of Jesus, including multiple interactions with Jesus following the resurrection. And then years later, this same Apostle John, along with the other apostles, right? They started churches. They grew Christians. And John, in particular, had a group of believers that he shepherded, which leads to this second group of vulnerable Christians who are still part of his church, the ones he addresses as dear children, right, who are growing in the faith. John led them, he fed them, he loved them. But there were challenges because there was a third group, these liars, these false teachers who left the church. And they left the church to do their own things because they were promoting this Christless spirituality. That they said that it was them, not John, who had the inside track with God, who knew how you could achieve spiritual enlightenment. John calls them liars. He actually calls them small a antichrists earlier in the book. And the reason he's so harsh in his language is that they taught this. They denied that Jesus is the Christ. They dismissed the seriousness of sin. They actually said that they no longer sinned and that sin wasn't a real thing to them. They also downplayed the value of righteous living, that how you lived and how you behaved didn't matter, but rather it was knowing the secrets, right? And so all this is going on, as you can see by the arrows then, these, these liars, they're trying to deceive, they're trying to persuade those still under John's care to leave them and join up with, you know, their group. 
of dissenters, of rebels. Meanwhile, John is trying to love and protect his dear children, right? These vulnerable Christians in the church. In the same time, he's also confronting and exposing these liars for the spiritual frauds that they really were, right? So this is why John's language is so harsh, is so direct, because there is a lot at stake, the lives of Christians both then, but here we are 2,000 years later, right? And so it is against this backdrop of conflict, of confusion, that John wants to instill a Christ-centered confidence into these Christians so they can stand strong in the chaos of life. Instill a Christ-centered confidence in these Christians so they can stand strong in the chaos of life. And with that, then, John's ultimate goal for them comes through in the theme passage of the book. First John, chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, then and now, including us, right? So that what? So that you may know, you may have confidence that because of Jesus, you have eternal life. You have eternal life. You have the forgiveness of sins. You have the promise of heaven. You have spiritual transformation. The Holy Spirit alive in you from the inside out. This is John's goal for us, right? That we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that eternal life is ours no matter the chaos that's swirling around us or the chaos that can sometimes swirl around within us. And the battle of emotions and fears and worries and concerns we have. No, eternal life is ours by God's grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ. And there is absolutely nothing that can ever take that away from us. So that is the heart of 1 John. Now, as we've seen in the first half of this series, this is how the book is played out. And I've kind of summarized it with this diagram, right? From the beginning of 1 John chapter 1 to where we left off, 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, the theme is this, that God is light. John is emphasizing the reality that God is light. It's like we've seen in the opening bumper of the series every week, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, right? This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness at all. John is reminding them, he's reminding us that true spiritual enlightenment can only be found through God the Father, through God the Son, and not this alternative spirituality that these defectors who left the church were peddling, right? So over and over again, John is saying that these liars, that they had rebelled from the light. That's why they left. That's why they, you know, formed this alternative belief, right? But a rebellion that not only showed up in their false beliefs, it was a rebellion that also showed up in their unrighteous and unloving behavior. That's why John encourages us as Christians that we should walk in the light, live in the light as God is in the light, right? That because we have been forever changed by the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, our lives should reflect the impact of that change through our growth and through our obedience, right? Forgiven, yes, growing, definitely. It's like I shared last week in the first John halftime Q&A here in Saginaw, right? That John is saying, right, as forgiven and growing Christians, it's not that we're sinless. It's not that we're perfect. As a matter of fact, if we claim to be without sin, John says, we, we deceive ourselves, right? It's not that we're sinless, but we should sin less. That is new life in Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. There should be outward evidence of that change over time in the way we live and the way we love. God is light, and so we as his children should walk in the light as he is in the light. That's the first half of 1 John. But then for today, as we continue on in 1 John, I want to give you a preview of where we're going for the rest of the series John tells us that not only is God light, but he also says that God is love. God is love. 1 John chapter 3 to 11, all the way to the rest of the book, right? God is love. Now, to be clear, John has been talking a bit about love in the first few chapters, but now, for the rest of the book, he is doubling down. He is going all in on the absolute necessity of love, specifically love in the church, 
loving the church. And the reason he does this is because this is how you rebuild a fractured and hurting church. I mean, those, those, those people left the church, I mean, there were relationships. They were friends and they've gone and, and they're hurting people. They're confused people. And so John, for those who, you know, were not persuaded to leave the defectors, you know, the way that they were going to heal, the way that they were going to get past all the chaos and confusion and the controversy was to love each other. And so John tells them, they rebelled from the light. We rebuild with love. We rebuild with love that we will love each other as God has loved us. Love. So hopefully fasten your seatbelts because we are going to talk about love in the church today and for the rest of the series like never before. So if you have a Bible with you, let's go ahead and join me in 1 John chapter 3. Uh, use paper, use electronic. You may also turn to your journal as well. And as you're going there, let me make a couple comments about the journal. So first of all, uh, if you are new to the series or you have not picked up a journal, we have journals for you. A journal that is specially designed for the second half of the series. These are available in both campuses, so here in Saginaw, also in Bay City. That after the service, go out the info desk in the lobby at Bay City and ask for a journal. Also, today we are kicking off our second six-week phase of our First John discussion groups, right? Groups that meet during the week to talk about what we're hearing on Sundays. And so in Saginaw, after both services and the hub, we've got people who can talk to you about, you know, a, a discussion group and where you might find a First John D group near you, and same in Bay City as well. So encourage you in that. Those of you who have been using the journal, who have been coming on Sundays, who have been in discussion groups, we're getting great feedback, right, that God is using these experiences in your life. So back to 1 John chapter 3. Here's what I want to do for the rest of our time together. That first of all, we're going to do a flyover, okay? We're going to do a flyover by reading the entire passage for today, which is rather lengthy. But then second, after we're done, we're going to do a deeper dive into the heart of the passage. A deeper dive into the heart of the passage. These three verses right in the middle that I believe can make or break a church. Honestly, make, a break, make or break a church, including our church, and so I want us to pay attention to what God is going to say to our hearts today, both collectively as a congregation, but then also individually as believers in Jesus Christ. So here we go. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning, right? going all the way back to Jesus, going back to the ministry he shared with us. And what is that message? We should love one another, John says. We should love one another. I told you that we were going to talk about love. John says we should love one another. And this one statement serves as an umbrella for the rest of the book. And I have no doubt in my mind that when the Apostle John tells us this, he also has the words of Jesus ringing in his ears. The words spoken decades earlier in the upper room on the night before his crucifixion. Words that John later recorded in his biography of Jesus and words that we here at Hopevale consider to be our blueprint as a community of grace and truth. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, verse 35, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another. And then get this, by this, as you're loving each other in the church, everyone will know that you're my disciples, my disciples, my disciples, my followers, if you love one another. Here they are, the very words of Jesus that Jesus passes on to John and the other apostles like a baton. And then John turns around and passes that same baton of love to all Christians who have followed John for the last, followed after John for the last 2,000 years, right? Including us. Love one another, Jesus says. And so here's John, decades later, writing First John. And he echoes the same thing. This is the message. We should love one another. Verse 12. Do not be like Cain, 
who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now from the command of love, I mean, in my mind, John takes this sharp 90 degree turn, right? By referencing this well-known Old Testament story of a jealous brother whose hatred drove him to destructive actions, where his envy led to evil, which then led to murder. And so John says, don't be that guy, don't be that gal, right? Don't live a life that is consumed by hate, verse 13. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Listen, John says, you are going to get pushback in this world. Not everyone is going to be thrilled by your newfound faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, they might even feel threatened by it. So don't be surprised if people respond to you with hate. Hate. Don't be surprised and don't get sucked in by that hate and respond in kind. Don't do it. Why? Because as Christians who are born of God into new life in Jesus Christ, you, me, we have passed from death to life. Death to life. We have been called out of hate and into love. So don't let the hatred out there affect and infect the love that should be going on in here. John says, rest of verse 14, anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I mean, this is classic John language, right? He never minces his words, does he? Death, hate, murder, pretty intense, right? And yet when you read this where he is equating hate with murder, it's hard not to think about Jesus who essentially says the exact same thing in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, that a hateful heart is just as offensive in the eyes of a holy God as murderous actions. So don't go there, John says. Do not let hate get a foothold in your church, in your relationships, in your heart. No, we rebuild with love, right? And so after warning us about the negative, now John is going to turn to the positive, and here is where it gets really good. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Listen, if you feel like you're a foreigner to love, if you're thinking to yourself, I want to know what love is, Pastor Dan, I want you to show me. Well, here it is. Okay, some of you got that, others of you didn't. I get that, right? I'll say it, not sing it, right? But this is as good as it gets. Do we want to know what love is? Yes, Jesus Christ sent us a box of chocolates. He wrote us a card. He said nice words. No, he laid down his life for us. And we ought to, we should lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. Now we're going to get back to this toward the end, but I mean, this is the standard right here, right? Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Verse 18, dear children, that's that affectionate address that John speaks to the church. Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, right? These three verses make up our deeper dive passage that we're going to look at more later on, but let's go ahead and read through the rest of the chapter. Verse 19. This is how we know we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence, that if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now for these last six verses in chapter three, John is going to take a little detour from the love theme to inject some more confidence and assurance into his flock. I mean, remember the setting of 1 John. This is a messy situation. It's messy emotionally. It's messy relationally. It's messy spiritually. And the Christians who are still around and didn't leave with the rebels, they're confused. They're insecure. They're questioning whether they're on the right side of truth or not. And so John calms them down. He says, I know you're upset. I know you feel like your heart is condemning you. I know you might be wrestling that you made the wrong choice, but you need to know that the certainty of God and his great love for you 
is far greater than what the emotions of your heart might be telling you. No, God in all his light and all his love, he is the final, final arbiter of truth, not your emotions, right? Don't let your emotions condemn you. Verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, right? When our hearts are rooted in what God and what Jesus says who we are, right? We have confidence, there's that word, confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Verse 22 talks about us keeping God's commands, that we need to let the truth, not the flightiness of our emotions, speak to our heart. This is where the confidence comes from. And so when we have a God-centered, Christ-rooted confidence, it frees us up to be bold with our prayers that God will hear us, that God will answer us if we're walking in obedience, if we're striving to please him with our lives. So, So what is the command we need to keep? Verse 23. And this is the command, right? This is his command. To believe in the name of his son Jesus and to love one another as he commanded us. To believe and to love, to believe and to love. See, whether it's here in verse 23 or it's what Jesus spells out in the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, that living out our faith in Jesus should have both a vertical dimension with God to believe, but then also a horizontal dimension with others to love. Verse 24, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And so just like in verse 19 when John said, this is how we know we belong to the truth, he comes back with the same language. This is how we know what? This is how we know that God lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us, that it is the indwelling Holy Spirit of God that gives us the power to live for God, that gives us the assurance that we belong to God. Where does the confidence come from? The confidence comes from the way we live out here, but it also comes from the Holy Spirit who lives within us right here. This is how we know. This is how we know. Confidence, confidence, confidence that we are in the light, that we are in the life, that we are in the love of the one true God. And I just love that John knew what his people back then needed and that God also knows what we as his people need today. We need confidence in the chaos. Because our emotions, they don't always tell us the truth, but they matter. They matter. Because God wants us to love us. God wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And that love is meant to be for God in every part of our makeup, in every fiber of our being. And as we do, right, as we're loving God like that, then we should be loving each other as God has loved us with a selfless, sacrificial, life-giving kind of love. And so it's this kind of love here with each other in the church that I want us to spend the rest of our time talking about, right? Now, like I promised, we're going to take another look at those verses, 16, 17, 8, and right in the middle. Before we do, I want us to stop for a moment and Think about this whole thing that we call church. Church. See, on the one hand, it's easy for me to presume that we're all thinking the same thing when you hear me say the word church or when we read about it in Scripture. But i got to tell you that the longer I've been a pastor, the harder it's been for me to assume or presume that we're all on the same page, right? No, the reality is more like this, that the word church is kind of like an ink blot test where 10 different people see and hear and think and feel 10 different things. That the church is a building. That the church is where I go on Sundays. That church is where I feel close to God. That church is where the worship moves me. The church is where my kids have fun. That church is where I get inspired to be a better person and on and on it goes. But then you go through a book like 1 John And you discover something that I know you've heard me say often from up front before, that church isn't so much a place to attend, but rather church is a people to belong to. A people to belong to, not just a place to attend. It's the difference between having a community 
mindset when it comes to church rather than a consumer mindset. See, if we just limit church to be a place to attend, if we evaluate church on the basis of what it does for me, then you know what becomes most important to us? Things like the programs offered, the style of music, the personalities of the pastors, the preference of service times, the convenience of parking, the quality of donuts, the color of the carpeting, and on and on and on it goes, right? Now, don't get me wrong, right? We are allowed to have personal preferences, likes, dislikes, that God never intended for his people to look and act and think and feel the exact same way. So it's not that these things are unimportant. They just were never meant to be most important. No, God's vision for the church is so much bigger. It's so much greater than this. See, church, first and foremost, is about God and his glory. It's not about us and our consumption. And because church is more about the people than the place, you know what becomes the most important thing in the church? Love. Love. That we should love one another, John says, and that includes what? It includes loving people who aren't like us. That the common denominator in a church isn't age, race, gender, marital status, job importance, social standing, net worth, partisan politics, none of that. No, the one bond that unites us together is Jesus Christ and his great love for us. And that the more we focus on that as a church, the more we will move into community and away from consumerism. That's why I love the heart of today's passage. And so as we begin to wind down, let's go back to 1 John 3, verse 16. Or as I like to think about the other John 3, 16, right? Here we go. This is how we know what love is, John says. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is love, agape love, unconditional love, no strings attached kind of love. This kind of love is the standard for love in the church. Jesus is the standard for love in the church. That love is about action, selfless and sacrificial action. And this is so far beyond what you often see in churches, right? I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Or I'll say nice things in front of your face, but talk about you behind your back. Or I'll pay attention to you if you are a person of means, but I will walk right by you if it looks like you don't have much. Or I will blindly protect the powerful while unjustly trampling over the weak or however else churches get it wrong. No, when it comes to love in the church, it all begins and ends with Jesus, who is not only our Savior, but Jesus is also our standard. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to express that same kind of life-laying-down love for each other. Now, what I love about this section is that John not only gives us the standards, but he also fleshes out some specifics. Specifics of what selfless and sacrificial love in the church should look like. Verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Maybe not at the top of the list, but in the top 10, this could be one of the most challenging verses in the entire Bible. And when I read this, I think about Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus paints for us this vision of love and mercy in very practical terms, where the expression of love actually costs us something. Love costs us something, and not just financially, as John's talking about here, although that's part of it. It costs us things like our time, our energy, our emotion, our plans, or whatever else we value. Practical, sacrificial love is the acid test of our faith. It's much like what James, another church leader, writes in the New Testament, book of James, chapter 2. He puts it this way, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. One of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. 
It's dead faith. I mean, this is so challenging stuff, people, right? And so it's in this exact same spirit that John then follows up with these words, verse 18, dear children, right? That affectionate term for the church. Let us not love with words or speech. Go in peace. Keep warm. Be well fed, right? No. But let us love with actions and in truth. Actions and in truth. This is the love of Jesus in us, and this needs to be the love of Jesus through us. You know, it's this very passage of Scripture that forms part of the foundation for our DNA as a church. As a matter of fact, one of the five core ministry values that I talked about in a lot of detail this time last year. It's the value of authentic love. That as a church, right, We want to be the kind of church that has authentic love where we practice what we preach. We put feet to our faith. We don't just want to talk the talk. We want to walk the walk. Where our loving goes beyond words or speech and moves into action and truth. See, whether it is John, it's James, or Jesus himself, this is how we are to live as Christians, and this is how we are to love each other. Because when this kind of authentic love is the vision before us as a church, like I said before, you know what it's going to do? It's going to pull us away from a me-first consumerism. And it's going to lead us into a Christ-centered community. A God-exalting, Christ-centered, spirit filled, spirit-led community of grace and truth. And when that kind of movement is happening in us, through us, and among us, that is when Hopevale Church is at its best. And so as I close, I want to encourage and challenge us with this final question, right? Who in the church do you need to love authentically this week? Do you have a name? Do you have a face? Do you have a life story? Do you have a situation? Who in the church do you need to love authentically this week? And how are you going to do that with actions and in truth? Putting feet to your faith. It might be giving away some of your money to help someone else in need. It might involve an act of service, like shoveling a driveway, like bringing in groceries. It might involve a sacrifice of time, like visiting someone who's in long-term care, or just listening to and praying for a hurting friend who's just lost a loved one, right? Or it might involve extending the gift of forgiveness to someone who needs it. Words are good, but words are not enough, John says. And so whoever it is and whatever you do, you know, we're only going to become the kind of church God wants us to be if we're all in this together, if we're each taking steps like this. See, that is the power of 1 John 3.16. So as I close, let's read this together. Here we go. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, and to do that with action and in truth. Let's pray together. Jesus, you are our Savior. And Jesus, you are our standard for love in the church. And Jesus, thank you for touching and moving in John's life in such a way that he spells us the specifics and gives those to us, right? That words and speech are okay, but God, you want to move us to actions and truth. We want to be that kind of church where we're not just talking the talk, right? and sounding really religious. But our actions are speaking louder than our words. And we're walking the walk. And so God, I don't know what that means for us 
hearing this message. But I do know this, that this is something for all of us, not just for the person in front of us, behind us, next to us, but it begins with me, begins with all of us. Because Jesus, you said that when the church loves like this, with selfless and sacrificial love, then the world will know that we're your followers and the world will see that your love is real. And that's our heart because that's when you get all the glory. So fill us, empower us by your Holy Spirit to live beyond what we can naturally do and to love like Jesus loves. This we pray in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to respond with a song of worship, a song that leads us to the Holy Spirit who lives in us and lives through us so that we can love the way Jesus loves. Let's stand together.
So we're singing that song. I was thinking about this whole idea of what it means to be the church, right? A place to attend, but a people to belong to. You know, if church is just a place to attend, then this is just a room of hundreds of people individually saying, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And that's a good thing. But if church is also what people belong to, we look at each other and we say, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. So as you go, I want you to do this. We're gonna do a second meet and greet. I just want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you're here today. Would you do that? Would you go with the blessing of God? I'm glad you're here today.